Well, good morning, church. Uh, I am glad and humbled to be with you this morning. Like Chad said, my name is Matt, and I get the privilege to serve as the student pastor here at Vaughn Forest. And so if you are here in the room on our campus this morning, I'm so glad you're here. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us this morning. There's so many places you could be. I know so many of our people are traveling this week. Happy early Thanksgiving to you. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. I love the food, uh, but that just not specific to Thanksgiving. I just like food in general. Uh, and so I am super excited about this week. And I'm super excited as well to continue to walk us through uh, the story of Nehemiah. It's been really great uh, with Pastor Brett and Pastor Chad who have walked us through for the last couple of weeks and months through Nehemiah when we're almost close to finishing that up and get into Christmas. But before we jump ahead to that, I am just really thankful to get to dive into this this morning. So let me just go and give you a sneak peek at kind of where we're going this morning, kind of what we'll go ahead and see. We'll see that today Nehemiah is almost caught in some traps, that these same people that have constantly been very, very vocal in their opposition against Nehemiah, they've been really annoying, they've been like kind of that person on the shoulder always whispering in your ear, today they go much past being annoying and getting on your nerves to something much more diabolical. But on the note of being annoying, my entire life, and hopefully until the day that I die, I have had the privilege of being an annoying little sibling. So maybe you are in the room and you wear that badge of honor as proudly as I do because I have loved it. Like I, for a while in my life, I lived for the purpose of annoying my big brother. His name is Mason. He is three years older than me. And he is actually right now, he is a worship pastor in Birmingham and he's probably leading worship for his church. And so I am so glad to talk about him when he doesn't know that I'm doing it. When I was probably nine or 10 years old, I thought that pranking my brother is just the God-given purpose of an annoying little sibling. I thought that it was the best way to go. And I'm not quite sure I was wrong, okay? But one of the pranks that kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for my parents was this. I'd heard one of my friends talk about this prank that they had done on their older sibling. And so I knew kind of my brother's schedule, and I knew that when he came home from a basketball practice or a football practice or whatever it was, thank goodness that the first thing he would do was shower. Some of you got middle school boys in the room, and they're like, man, my kid never showers, so like that's a problem. So my brother would come home and take a shower after one of those practices, and so what I thought would be really great was if I took the shower head off and took a red Kool-Aid packet and dumped the red Kool-Aid packet into the shower head. So some of my siblings in the room were like, I'm taking notes, this is awesome. I put the red Kool-Aid packet in the shower head and screwed that back on to the shower. And as soon as my brother turned the hot water on, it looked like a massacre had happened in his shower. <laughs> what I had not planned on were the repercussions of that because my brother had his own bathroom in his own room and it was a custom walk-in white tile shower. And to this day at my parents' house, that tile is still just a little bit pink because no matter how much I cleaned and scrubbed and did all those things, I could not fix the mess that I had made. And you're sitting there thinking, how in the world does this have to do anything with Nehemiah? Well, I'll tell you. 
in the same sense that you had, hopefully, maybe had that annoying little cousin or, or brother or sister, or maybe you just heard my story about just how I was annoying, these guys that constantly are in opposition of Nehemiah were similar for a while to that same annoyance that, that, that I would give to my older brother. That these guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, were really annoying in Nehemiah's progress. It seemed like every moment that they could, they had something negative to say to Nehemiah. Hey, Nehemiah, you know that you're, there's no way you're going to get this wall rebuilt. You know that there's no way that you're not going to get attacked by robbers or by wild people out there in the wilderness. There's no way that you can do this in a short amount of time. Up until this point, where we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning, these guys have just been really annoying. But today, they step from annoying, and they step into being much more difficult. Satan, the enemy of us as people who are following Jesus, his tactics are much more lethal than Kool-Aid in the showerhead. But there are traps set for you and for me as people who are following Jesus. It's something that we want to be aware of. It's a point Chad made just last week that we need to know that the opposition is coming. And so in Nehemiah makes that very clear. In your life and in mine, how do we respond to these people? How do we respond to these moments of adversity? I would argue that it's either one way or the other. We respond in a way that point people towards Jesus or we respond as Christ followers, in a way that pushed people very far away from him. Because all of us in this room have a story or a moment where, hey, that person says they're a Christian, but they didn't act very Christian-like. Why would I want to be a Christian? It's one of the, the biggest things that people have against Christianity is where the people who call themselves Christians don't really act very Christian-like. How do we respond to those moments of adversity or those moments where there are people who just get under our skin? And so today we see these guys start to get really creative in the ways that they're coming against Nehemiah. Like I can imagine that as this chapter opens up in verse 1, it talks about how these guys have come to Nehemiah again. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, they have now come to Nehemiah again. And I can imagine Nehemiah sitting there is like about to rip his hair out because it's like, you guys will not just leave me alone. You guys will not just hush and let me build this wall and move on. I don't want us to point any fingers or call out any names in the room, but I know you have those same people in your life. That no matter what you do, right, wrong, up, down, it does not matter. It seems like their only purpose in this life is to make me mad and to irritate me and to trip me up and to be annoying. Some of you are like, yeah, their names are my kids' names. It's crazy. How does Nehemiah deal with these people? How does he fight through this? How does he make it through this? Because I know I would lose my cool on these guys. I would lose my mind if they would not just hush and let me do what God has called me to do, yet they do not do that. And in this passage, they move from being annoying and just saying things to, they take action to try to trip, to confuse, to stall Nehemiah. So how do we respond when we're dealing with those kind of people? How do we respond to the adversity and the opposition in our 
life. So if you pull out your notes, I've got the first point for you this morning. How do we respond? Here's some things you can do. First thing, know your purpose. Know your purpose. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me, me being Nehemiah, to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent this message, and each time I gave them the same reply. I heard a pastor say this one time, that before you know what to do with your life, you have to know whose you are in Christ. That before you know what I'm going to be, before I really finalize how I'm going to raise a family or how I'm going to be a mom or a dad or a leader or do this job or that job or just be the person that God has called me to be, in order to know that, in order to know what to do with your life, you must first know whose you are in Christ. Nehemiah knew who God had called him to be. Nehemiah knew that God had called him to this work. Nehemiah knew without any doubt that God had called him to do what? A great work. That God had called him to a great work. Listen, church, this morning, here's the spoiler. Like, I'm going to go in to get right to the point. The same is true for you. That God has called you right where you are this morning, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, to a great work. What is that? What is the thing God has called you to? Well, I tell our students this all the time. I tell my leaders this. That your purpose in this life, no matter where you are at, what stage of life you're in, what generation you fall in, your purpose is to know God and to make him known. You've heard that. It's kind of cheesy, it's kind of cliche, but it's very true. That every moment you breathe is a moment to get to know God more, to get to know who Jesus is, the person of Jesus, the person of God, what's true about him. That is your purpose. But to also then reflect that to the people and places and spaces in your life where God has placed you. What does that look like? Well, okay, so if you're a doctor... Do, a, do what you're supposed to do amongst your patients. Please continue to save lives and discover things and, and do all the things that you're called to do as a doctor, but do a great work that, the God, that our God has placed before you. Listen, if you're a business owner, be successful. As a church full of people who are doing life together, I want successful people in our church to influence the people who are trying to figure out how, what does it look like to be a successful Christ follower. Be successful, but do the great work that God has placed before you. Listen, if you're just a mom or a dad, and I say just with air quotes, because that's probably the most important role that I've named out of the things that I've named, I know that at the end of the day, your goal is just to make sure that we kept the ones that I have, I didn't add or subtract from that number, but that I survived at the end of each day. But your purpose is to do a great work amongst the little humans that God has placed in your life. If nothing else, if everything else fades away, do the great work that God has placed before you in your family. Listen, when I was a kid, I wanted to do two things in my life. The first of which was I wanted to be a trash man. 
I wanted to ride on the back of the trash trucks. I thought it would be incredibly fun to just sling trash around all day and throw cans and hang out with these hopefully dirty, grungy looking guys. That's how I thought I was gonna be when I was five or six years old. I thought I was gonna be the best trash man in Northeast Alabama. That's where I thought I was gonna do. And then when I was not trashing or picking up cans or whatever, the other job, I wanted to be a Waffle House cook. That's the two. And I still got a lot of life to live, and I'm not saying both of those doors are shut. <laughs> but I am saying that no matter what God had called me to, if I was on the back of a trash truck or if I was in the middle of a Waffle House making waffles, I can still do the great work that God has placed before me. You can still do the great work that God has placed before you wherever you are at in this life. Why? Because we're confident in our purpose. We know our purpose. Nehemiah could not have been more confident in his calling, so he had complete confidence in his work. Listen, just in this passage, these, these guys, these haters, had sent word to Nehemiah five total times. And I'm going to be honest, after five times, I'd probably break down and go just so they would hush. Or maybe I would have gone after the fifth time because, like, you know what? Maybe these three guys really do need my help. Maybe they do need a guy like me. Maybe they do need a guy like Nehemiah. But Nehemiah says no every single time. Why? Because his confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in who had called him to do this work. The same is true for you. Know that God has called you this morning, today, to do a great work exactly where you are at. You are where you were at on purpose. A tough reality I had to learn in my life, in the good and in the bad, is this. If God wanted your life different right now, it would be. So what is he calling me to right now? Your purpose is to know God and make him known. How does that translate into your life? What God's calling us to is to join in with what he's already doing in your life and be overwhelmingly faithful to him. Know your purpose. Do the great work. The second thing, know the truth. Know the truth. Some verses, again, in Nehemiah chapter 6. Chapter 6. So uh, in verse 5, these guys have now, instead of sending message or word to Nehemiah, They've now sent a letter via a messenger. And the messenger sends us or gives this letter to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is reading the letter here. He says, There, the letter says, There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem, one of the guys that we talked about earlier, Geshem tells me that it's true. So Nehemiah reads this letter from Sam Balak. He's talked to Geshem, he's heard all the rumors that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, I being Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with an even greater determination. Skipping down in Nehemiah 6, they were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. 
So for some of you who had kids in the room, uh, one of the funniest things that I've ever seen amongst kids is when they're maybe six, seven, or eight years old, somewhere in there, if they ever get accused of something that they did not do. Why do I find that funny? Because they will fight tooth and nail, hand over fist to prove that they did not do it. Mom, I swear I didn't do it. I swear, I swear, I swear. I promise, I promise, I promise. I did not do it. I find that really funny because the kid gets really worked up for something that by the time you realize they didn't do it, it's just now I'm just, well, I just want to get them all worked up. But sometimes I do the same thing. That when I'm confronted or condemned or, or called out, whether it be true or not, I get really worked up. I want to make sure that I prove my point. I've got to make sure that I prove my innocence. I've got to make sure that I clear my name. I've got to make sure that everybody around knows that I am who I am, that I've got a good reputation, and that I look good, all these things. And I am not saying that you should not clear your name of things that are untrue, that you should not combat against falsehoods. But what I am saying is that if we worried about every single thought that other people are thinking, you're going to drive yourself insane. If I was just worried about what you guys are thinking right now, I would drive insane because most of you are thinking, when will he hush so I can eat lunch? If we worry about those things constantly, if we worry about what the truth actually might be, the answer to not doing that is to know the truth. So the question you have to then ask is, so Matt, what is truth? In today's culture... Truth seems relative. It's sometimes based on people's opinions or things like that, but within a Christian worldview, truth is not relative. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus. See, instead of focusing on that, we tend to focus on everything else happening. We focus on all the other things that are being said. We focus on all the could-be's and the might's and the maybe's and all of those things, the things that aren't necessarily true. We can't necessarily prove that they are true, but we can rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm about to give you a quote that shows you how country I actually am. I was born and raised in Alabama, never left, right? But what I heard this quote a lot growing up in terms of dealing with people. Dealing with people who it seems like their only goal is to tell me how bad I am or how wrong I am or whatever. It's this quote. That sometimes, when you wrestle with pigs, you both get in the mud, and you both get dirty, and the pig is the only one that likes it. What does that mean? It means there are some people in this life, whether the, wherever they come from, whatever their motives are, it seems like their only job, their only purpose, is not to say that you're right or you're wrong, it's just to get under your skin. It's just to trip you up, to deter you from that purpose that God has given us, to distract you from what God has called you to. So church, hear me this morning. We can know what is true. We can know what is not true. Every comment on Facebook does not have to be replied to. If, that, if that's freeing for somebody this morning, it's freeing for me. Every little thing said about you is not something you have to defend. Why? Because you have a Savior who has defended you. So what does that look like? What is the truth? We said the gospel is true, so let me just walk us through that. Here's the truth. The truth is that you were created by God for God, on purpose, with a purpose. 
And that God loved you so much that he gave up the biggest piece of himself, his son Jesus, to die on a cross. And that death would pay a debt of sin that you owed and that I owed and that neither one of us, no matter what we did or how hard we tried, could ever repay. And so he died a death that was mine and was yours. But the best part of that story is that he did not stay dead. He was dead for three days, but he cheated death, hell, and the grave, was resurrected on Easter, and has now gone to prepare a place for those who are called by him. And he's coming back. That is truth. That is the gospel story. But even more so, like in Jesus' life, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 16 and 19 and 22 and in Luke 22, there are these moments where people, are really bad people, political leaders, are standing before Jesus, condemning him, accusing him, saying all these things that are not true about him. They say, hey, he's, he's speaking blasphemy. Hey, he's, he's leading a rebellion. Hey, he's an insurrectionist. He's bringing chaos to Rome. And the whole time Jesus stays quiet until Luke chapter 22, when Jesus is standing before a council of people, before a king, and they are accusing him left and right, and he only speaks to the one true accusation against him. Luke 22, verse 7, he says this. They all shouted towards Jesus, So are you claiming to be the Son of God? It's the only time Jesus responds, and he says, You say that I am. Why? Jesus only responds to truth. Jesus only responds to truth. In the Gospel of Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, when Jesus is tempted by Satan in, in the wilderness, how does Jesus respond? With the truth of Scripture. Each time he quotes Scripture to combat the lies of the enemy. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this. He says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is truth. And so when we know Jesus, we know truth. And when we know truth, my identity is changed. I now know what truth is. I don't have to worry about the lies. But it would be much easier said than done to say, hey, just don't worry about the lies. Just, just don't worry about it. It's one of the biggest pet peeves I'll ever have in my life is when someone says, hey, I have this, I have this, I have this. Well, just, just don't worry about it. It's like, oh, okay. I wish, I, yeah, yeah, I'll work on that. Just not worrying about something. See, some of us don't, if you can just get over something, man, that praise gosh, I wish I had that. I can't do that. I can't just, just not worry about things. I know that's a lie from the enemy. How do I know that? In John chapter eight, Jesus says, that. He says that, Jesus, that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. It says he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. There is no truth in Satan. And when Satan lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what do those lies look like in your life and in my life? How do we respond to Satan? How do we know this truth? We respond with truth. So I'm gonna, I don't know who this is for this morning, but I will just tell you, here are some lies that I know in my life that the enemy has whispered in my ear, that the Father has lies, has created in my own head and my own spirit, and this is how we can combat them with Scripture. When Satan says that God has abandoned you, that God's not really there for you, that he really doesn't care that much about you. Scripture tells us the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word says that God will never leave us or forsake us. When the enemy says 
that you can't be forgiven for that one deep, ugly, dark, sinful thing that you did. Scripture tells us that God has taken our sin and thrown it as far as the east is from the west. When Satan tells you that you have no future, that there is no good that can come from your life, when there is no prosperity for you in this life, that you are doomed to be broken, desolate, desperate, worrisome, stressed out, anxious, God says that he works all things together in this life for your good, but for his glory, according to those who are called by his name. When the enemy whispers that you're not really saved, this is what he, this, these are the things that he's doing, because what's the, if you look back at Adam and Eve, what's the first lie Satan ever told? Did God really say? When God says, oh, you're not really saved, you don't, you're not really loved and, and, and bought by the blood of Jesus forever, you're not really one of mine. Know that God says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. And this is a good one. This is one I have to live by day after day. When God says that you are too far gone, that you've messed up too much, that you are too broken, too useless, too damaged, Scripture says that, oh, this is good, that there is neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, not your future, not your past, no powers of hell, no scheme of man, no height, no death, or anything created will ever be able to separate you from the love of Christ that's in Christ Jesus. When Satan whispers those lies, we respond with truth. Nehemiah knew what was true for him that God had a purpose for him, and no one other than God himself could change that. So Nehemiah knew his purpose. He knew the truth. And the last thing, verse 1. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall, that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. Nehemiah still had a little bit of work to do in the gates around the city, but he had finished the wall. Here's the word, finish the task. Know your purpose, know the truth, finish the task. This is kind of that practical thing like, God, Matt, I know that I should know my purpose, I know that I should know the truth, but practically how do I live that out? What do I do when I go back home this week? Well, finish the task. Nehemiah had been through a lot. At this point, he'd been lied to, lied about. They're trying to hurt him. They're trying to stall him. They're trying to trip him up, get him to sin. He'd now been threatened by these guys. And he'd worked so hard to finish this wall in 52 days. Church, hear me this morning. Even in the midst of the opposition, the haters, the resistance, the dry season, whatever the case may be, finish the task. Finish anyways. These moments where you feel like you're getting beat down from the left, from the right, from every angle, finish anyways. The people at work that are always on your case, no matter what you do, when it feels like your family has left you or turned against you, when you don't know this season how you're going to make ends meet, finish anyways. Move toward God and finish the task Anyways, listen, this is the big reveal. Nehemiah has finished the wall. We've done this whole series and we get to verse one in chapter six where Nehemiah's done it, he's finished. And yet all of these things still happen to him. This book is all about Nehemiah's faithfulness all to the end. 
And as we wrap up, do you want to have an impact for the kingdom of God? In your family, in your workplace, at your job, amongst the people that God has placed in your life, do you want to have an impact? I think it's inevitable for all of us at some stage in our life to think about death. Not in like a morbid, kind of like demented kind of way, but in the aspect of, I wonder what kind of impact I'll have once I'm gone. Like, I, I wonder what my legacy is going to be after I pass away. And I think about that, and I'm not like entirely sure what I want to be said after me. Like, yeah, I, I want to make sure that, that people talk about me and say that he was a good husband and a good father and a, and a great friend, and he loved his church. He's a hard worker. There's tons of things that could be said, some good, some not so great. And so I'm not sure where I land on what I want others to say about me. But what I do know, I know what I want heaven and hell to say about me when I pass away. The moment that I take my last breath here on this earth and step into eternity, if I have placed my faith in Jesus, which I have confidence that I have done, that the first words that I hear, the first face that I see, is Jesus who hung on a cross for my sin, paid a debt that I owe, and that we've trudged and tried through this life and, and tried to follow him and, and, and tried to be obedient and, and we've trusted him, we've placed our faith in him. And the moment we step into eternity, we would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know with 100% confidence that's what I wanna hear when I step into eternity. But also, I said I wanna I, I want make sure that hell thinks something of me as well. And you know what that is? I want hell to breathe a sigh of relief and say, thank God that dude's gone. Thank goodness. And that's not Matt the pastor, that's Matt the Christ follower. See, the truth can still be there for you. Is if you're following Jesus, yes, that, that we want to, to hear well done and good and faithful service, but I want hell to breathe a sigh of relief when I die. Man, his impact's over. Thank goodness. I want my life to have meaning. I want my life to have purpose. I want to leave an impact. Why not for my sake, but for the sake of the kingdom? Nehemiah, through everything, finishes the task anyways. He knew that he could not do this on his own, which is why he collects the help of, of other families in Jerusalem who would build the part of the wall outside of their own house. But more importantly, Nehemiah knew that he couldn't do this by his, by his own son. He needed Jesus. He needed God to lead him. Nehemiah was just a cupbearer. What did he know about laying brick? What did he know about building a wall? I don't know what he knew, honestly. But I know through this book that he knew that God is faithful to the purpose and promise he has set before him. You may be whatever it is that you are. If you're a cupbearer or a brick mason like Nehemiah, if you're a mom or a dad, a husband, a wife, whatever it is that you are at your job, do not 
underestimate the impact that you can have in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, if we allow God to use us. Church, hear me this morning. You are enough. You are able, but not by any merit of your own, not by anything you can do. You are able only because God is able. You are enough only because Jesus is enough. Will you rely on that? Will you trust in that this morning? Will we be obedient to him to know that even when I know I'm not enough, Jesus is? Nehemiah and his crew finished in 52 days. What will you do? This whole book has showed us that in 52 days, everything about an entire city could change. In 52 days, everything about your family could change. What will you do? In 52 days, everything about your workplace could change. What would you do? Everything about your health could change in 52 days. What will you do? Everything about your life could be flipped upside down, both for the good or the bad, in 52 days. Listen, I know what God has done in three days, not just 52. I know what God can do right here, right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit in this place, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I know what God can do right now. What will you say yes to? Nehemiah saw everything change in 52 days. He rebuilt the wall. Why? He knew his purpose. He knew the truth. And he finished the task. Church, this morning, hear me. Hear the word of God. Finish the great work that God has set before you to know him and make him known in the people and places and spaces in your life. Finish anyways. Finish the task. Will you pray with me this morning? So God, I do thank you for this morning, for your word, for the truth of your word. God, clearly remind us of our purpose this morning. Tattoo on our heart, your scripture, your word, your truth. God, not the world's truth, not a relative truth, but the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, your story of how you loved us, saved us, and redeemed us. God, give us the strength to finish the task to finish the great work that you have set before us for your people who are called according by your name to your purpose. Help us finish the task, God. When it seems like we have no more strength, we can go not an inch further. God, help us finish the task. God, in our weakness, help us realize that you are made strong in and through us, that we are made strong because of who you are. The same power that rose your that brought your son back from the death, lives inside of us. God, help us know that through you, we have the power to change our lives only through you, only by your grace, only by your mercy, only by your power. Father, use us as your instruments for your good and your glory in this world, in our families, in our workplace, in our jobs, in our own hearts. These things we ask in your son's saving name. Amen.